The scripture reads this way in Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads of the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Sippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over to Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of, the Jericho, of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Parasites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you do not pl- did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, some translations would say, if it's not desirable to you. Some would say evil because they say, if you judge that the Lord is not good. That's the whole idea. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So at this point that Joshua is actually sharing the word of the Lord with the people of Israel, it is again a place of calling Israel to make a decision. Will you choose for God or against God? What is your decision today? And I believe that God was very present at that moment. So let's pray now for God's presence to take over. Lord, we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit right now. As we talk about a scripture of covenant, We know, God, that you call us into covenant with you, into relationship with you, with principles to guide it. Give us the wisdom to understand it, to declare it, and to receive it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. As we look at this scripture, we find that Joshua, after conquering the land that God had promised, summons all of the leaders and the people together to recall all that God had done for them. 
to call them to affirm or walk away from their covenant with God. Notice what Joshua does as he recalls the things that God has done, or as God speaks to him. Notice the things that God reminds the people of Israel about. Number one, he reminds them, I've called you out of nowhere, and I've given you a future. You are Abraham from nowhere, and I've given you a future. I've given you a purpose. Secondly, I have delivered you from Egypt with miraculous power. You didn't make it out of Egypt because of your own work. Right? You didn't make it past that sea because of your own work. Third, he has provided for you in the wilderness while you were in the desert a long, long time. It was I, the Lord said, that kept your shoes from wearing out and your clothes from wearing out and who provided manna for you to eat. Fourth, God defeated all of the enemies of Israel. Of Israel. God, it was he that defeated the enemies, not their strength. Fifth, God gave them favor and that God gave them a land they didn't even work for. They were eating the fruit of the land and lived in a city that they didn't even build. And so in essence, Joshua, as, as the Lord speaks through him, Joshua is saying, look at all that the Lord has done. In light of all that the Lord has done and in light of who he is, what is your decision today? What will you decide to do? Joshua says, I know what I've decided. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this scripture is not necessarily speaking of a prophecy of someone not having control of what decision they will make for God, but rather it's actually a scripture that speaks about a choice. Joshua saying, I know what I'm going to do with my choice. I will serve the Lord. What will you do with your choice? What will you do today before the Lord? I want to talk about that today. I want us to ask ourselves that question. In light of all of God's goodness towards us, can you say that you've enjoyed some of God's favor in your life? Can you say that there has been times where God's provided for you when you didn't have a way? Can you say that you have seen God work miracles for you when things were impossible? In light of all of the goodness that we've experienced from the Lord, what are we going to choose today? What will we do? Has he been good enough? Has he shown himself to be worthy? Or have the gods of your forefathers are not serving God better? Today I want us to consider that question in light of who he is, and what he's done. And then I want you to know several things. If today we gather here and we're saying we're going to serve the Lord, there are certain things that we need to know. We're going to make a decision and we're going to say, hey, we're going to serve the Lord. I want you to know several things that I think every believer needs to know. Number one, if we make a decision to serve the Lord, it is God who will equip us and it is he that will prepare the place for us. Are you with me? It is God that will equip us, and it is God who will prepare the place for us. If you go to Joshua chapter 1, you'll notice very clearly that God speaks to Joshua, and he says, I am with you as I was with Moses. I am encouraging you to be courageous, be strong and courageous, for I will give you the land. And three times the Lord told Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I will give you the land that you are to possess. 
the Lord equipped Joshua with everything that he needed, and the Lord prepared the place that God had for Joshua. So the scripture in Joshua chapter 1 verse 3 reads this way, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall, shall be your territory. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And verse 9 again, have I not commanded you for the third time? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three major things that Joshua needed to get in that portion of Scripture. Number one, Joshua, I've already given you the victory. The victory is yours because I've given it to you. Secondly, your enemy will not overcome you. You will conquer your enemy. And then third, I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And now why do you believe that God, Joshua needed three encouragements? Because God was going to call Joshua to do impossible things. Impossible things in his own strength. And see, the walk of faith is just that. God calling us to do impossible things within our own strength. Because God doesn't want us to depend on our strength. He wants us to depend on his. And so if it's a walk of faith, it means that we have to depend on him. And so God was calling Joshua to great feats, to great things. And he needed to encourage him. So he encouraged him three times. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. That's the word of God for everyone who walks by faith, who chooses to say, I will serve the Lord. But God didn't only prepare Joshua. God also prepared the place. He said, all of those places, I've already, I've already, I've already uh, uh, made it so that where, wherever you step on, that land is going to be yours. Isn't that incredible? And then if you read on in Joshua chapter 2, you read the story of a woman named Rahab who was a prostitute who lived in the walls of the city. And she heard of the spies, and the spies came to her home, and she hid them. While the kings of Jericho wanted to find these spies, she hid them so that they would not be found. And she cries out to the spies, listen, I know, I know who you serve, and I know that your God is the real God. We've been trembling in fear from the moment God's delivered you from, from Egypt. Think about it. We can at least say 40 years that they, they were trembling in fear, right? Trembling in fear over the God of Israel and the way that he would manifest over his people. And she said, we know that God's given you this. We know that your God is the true God. Just show, all I want is I'll, I'll hide you from these, the king who wants to find you. I'll hide you, but just show me kindness. Isn't that incredible? God was already preparing, God had already prepared the place that they were supposed to take over. Let me tell you something. When God calls you to do something, he's not only preparing you, but he's preparing that which he called you to do, that place, that area, that workplace, that school, that person that you're supposed to speak to, the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. Somebody once said, any missionary worth his weight has to know that when he's going to a mission field, it's not that he's taking God there. He's going to join God there because his Holy Spirit's already there waiting for him. What's your mission field? What has God called you to? I believe that 
God is waiting for you there. He's going to do mighty works if you let him through your life. If we're going to say yes to the Lord, we're going to say yes, we will serve the Lord. Me and my house will serve the Lord. We got to know that God prepares us and he prepares the destination. Secondly, we're going to say we're going to serve the Lord. We got to break allegiance with the world because our allegiance is with God. I want you to pay attention to Rahab's story. She belonged to the people of Jericho, but she made a commitment to hide the spies of Israel. Do you think that put her in a hot seat with the people of Jericho? Absolutely. If she would have been found out, do you think she would have lived another day? Absolutely not. But she made a decision. She said, I'm not going to be faithful to Jericho. I'm going to be faithful to God, the God of Israel. And that came with great consequences. I want you to hear that. Being faithful to God as opposed to Jericho came with great consequences. If she was found out, she would pay the price. So it is when we serve the Lord. If we're going to say, Lord, we will serve you, there are allegiances in our lives that we have to let go of. We cannot be in covenant with God and other false gods. We cannot be in covenant with God and be in covenant with those things that pull us away from our relationship with God. Matthew 10, verse 34 through 38, uh, 39, reads this very complicated scripture where Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, what is Jesus doing here? Is he actually saying that there should be conflict between family members? Someone said, see, I have a right to not like my in-laws. It's not scripture. That's not what it's saying. But rather, culturally speaking, you have to remember that people inherited only what they came from, who they came from, what their parents were. And so to say you got to hate your mother, you hate your father, it's actually saying you got to forsake those things for me. You got to be willing to forsake all of those things for me. And whatever you're not willing to forsake for me, it's a declaration that you're not worthy of me. Well, that's a strong, that's strong language, isn't it? But that is what following Jesus is. The reality is, is that if we say that we're going to serve the Lord, we know that there are relationships that we depend on that keep us from serving the Lord that we need to get away from. If we say we're going to serve the Lord, we know that we've got to deal with whatever treasure we may have that keeps us from serving the Lord. We know that if we say that we're going to serve the Lord, there's comforts. Or things that we've grown accustomed to that are not right, that we hold dear, that keep us from serving the Lord. There has to be a severance between this world and us. And it's not that we mistreat people. It's not that we treat others with disrespect. But we understand we cannot depend on things that keep us from giving our hearts completely to the Lord. There is absolutely no excusing that. You know Brothers and sisters who have come out of the Muslim faith understand what this means. 
Because when they give their lives to Christ and they make a public declaration, they give up everything they know. They give up family. And it's hard to even understand that as Americans because we don't value family the way they value family. We value independence more than we value community, right? But the reality of the matter is that when a Muslim comes to Christ, there's a price. It's real easy to make a commitment to something that doesn't cost us anything. And if Jesus is just a, a, an intellectual commitment, you got to ask yourself, what Jesus are you really serving? Because Jesus demands our life. This walking with Jesus is not, why don't you come to me and I'll make your life better. Let me tell you something, Jesus, life with Jesus is joyous. I love, I can't tell you how much more joyous I am now that I know Jesus. I can't tell you, there, there are things that I've enjoyed in life that I would have never imagined I would have enjoyed in life that I've had because of Jesus. So I'm not saying that Christianity is a boredom. It's not. It's absolutely incredible. But let me tell you, those who choose to gain their lives will lose it. But those who lose it for Christ will gain it. There's a severance that has to take place. We cannot love the world and love our God. Third, if we're going to choose to serve the Lord, we got to be aware of this. We all have to be aware of this. Beginning with, we all have to be aware of this. Compromise with sin is always accompanied with bigger consequences than we think. Okay? A little sin allowance in our lives always comes with greater consequence than we can think. We all have this tendency of thinking, it's not a big deal. It's just me. It's not hurting anyone. It's a lie from the pit, right? The Bible tells us the story of Joshua. Um, there's a point where there's some men uh, that God uh, called Israel to take over a certain city. And as they were going out to take over that city, they were defeated by that city. City, And Joshua cried out to God and he said, oh God, why did you allow this to happen? Now all the nations will hear about this and they're going to destroy us. And he cried out, God, why did you let this happen? What's going to happen to your name? And God said to Joshua, Joshua, do me a favor. Shut up. Get up. Why do you think you were defeated? Because there's sin in your camp. Someone has taken treasure that's supposed to be devoted. And the sin of that one individual, by the name of Achan, the sin of that one individual has affected the entire nation of Israel. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Somebody messed up on their taxes and it affected on it. Just too close, too close. Okay, so we're still in April. Come on, Carlos. Right. I'll say this in August. So, you know, so there, somebody took that which was devoted, and, and it brought grave consequences. 36 people died, and Israel was defeated. Israel was defeated because of that sin. And I want, I want to tell you something about sin allowances. Though we think it doesn't hurt anyone, this is what happens when we allow sin in our lives. God said to Joshua, because there's sin in the camp, I will not be with you. You will not have my favor, and you will not have victory. You will not be able to stand before your enemies. When we allow sin in our lives, places where we once had victory will become places of great defeat. Are you hearing that? When we allow sin in our lives, places where we had great victory can, will become places of great defeat. 
Are you understanding? When we allow sin in our lives, others will suffer from our disobedience. Others will suffer from our disobedience. Trust me. Children suffer from the disobedience of their parents. Think about that sin allowance. How much time is that sin allowance taken from us? How much time is that taken from our children? And what is that telling our children that really matters in our lives? Others will suffer from our disobedience. And when there's sin allowance in our lives, we will not be able to stand before our enemies. We will find ourselves being defeated over and over again, going through cycles of defeat. If we say that we're going to serve the Lord, He equips us. He prepares the place. Right? He does that. But there has to be a severance from the things of the world. we gotta, we got to part ways from the things of the world. we got to say, you know what, God, I'm not going to allow sin in my life. And I want you to hear this. There's total, totally big it's a big difference to allow sin and to repent of sin. The Bible says that we fall short, but when we fall short, we have an advocate. But falling short means, you know, I've sinned, I've acknowledged it, I repent of it, and I choose not to do it again. If I fall short, I'm going to repent again, and I'm going to keep fighting. That's totally different from saying, I have this sin in my life, and I'm going to allow it because it's not a big deal. That affects you. That affects this church body. That affects everybody that surrounds you, trust me, it affects everyone. And it becomes a domino effect that keeps us from the victory that God intends the rock to have. What's keeping your heart from the Lord? What is it? Your finances? Is it a relationship? What's keeping us from the victory that God intends the rock to have? Come on, don't make this personal. Our sin allowances affect each and every one of us here. Okay. And the last thing is this I want to share this with you. If we're going to serve the Lord, just be aware of this. It is God who makes us holy. It is God who makes us holy. God said to Joshua, Joshua, I am with you. I've already given you the land. I've already given you the victory. Where you step on, that is yours. Right? Be strong and courageous. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I used to have a problem with the scripture that said, be holy as I am holy. I felt completely intimidated by that. How can I be holy as you are holy? It's impossible, right? felt like there is no way that I can meet that standard. God said to Joshua, keep your eyes on my law. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your eyes on my law that I may bless you. It's like, and I read that and I'm like, man, that, that, that's difficult. Well, to keep my eyes on the law, but listen to what the Lord says. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. So what God is saying, just keep your eyes on me, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. There's that scripture in Titus we quote a lot here, and I want us to hear it over and over again because I don't want us to make grace cheap because grace is not cheap. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, 9 on down, it says, For the grace of God, which is God's big umbrella, that we're under, and under that umbrella we have the favor, the mercy, the prosperity, the joy, the peace, the covering of God, right? That big umbrella. The grace of God teaches us to live holy lives and to say no to sin. What does that mean? That God, through his Holy Spirit that is in us, is working holiness in us. He knows we don't got it. He knows we don't know how to live it, but he can live it through us if we let him. 
if we give him permission, if we submit to his teachings, he's going to teach us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not your work. He makes you holy. You don't make you holy. Are you with me? Now you partner with God, and you take up your cross, and you say yes. But in that process, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Right now, as you say yes to the Lord, you're holy because he lives in you, and you are his saint. You are his saint. And there's truth to the reality that you and I need to stop looking at ourselves as defeated sinners. There's truth to that. We need to start seeing ourselves as what Jesus sees us, the righteousness of God. Right? The head and not the tail. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And as we go through this journey, the grace of God is teaching us how to say yes to him, how to live holy lives. He makes us holy. He makes us holy. Would you stand with me today? He will make you holy. He will make you holy. Say yes to his leading. This is, I encourage you to read this chapter, read the book of Joshua. This is the one time in all of Israel's history where Israel has the greatest victory and walks in the greatest level of obedience. From here on out, things look really bad. (laughs) Really bad. And it's because they couldn't do it. No, that wasn't it at all. It was just simply because they, they didn't trust the Lord. I want you to hear me. The Lord loves you. He has a purpose for your life. He wants you to be strong and courageous. to walk away from compromise. And His Holy Spirit in you will make you holy. It's making you holy. Holy Spirit in you is able to keep you and protect you as you depend on Him to take you all the way to the other side when you meet Him face to face. He's able. He's able. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We want to be Joshua's. We want to be people who don't turn to the right or to the left, but keep our eyes fixed on you. Some of us today hear for the first time, we believe it, God. We believe that you have prepared us and that you've prepared the way. That you equip us and that you prepare our destination. Today, some of us are convicted, Lord God, that we are still in covenant with things of the world that we need to just surrender to you. Others of us, God, realize that we, there, there can't be room for sin allowances. Today, God, we just want to give that over to you. And Lord, we thank you that we are saints because you make us holy. We are saints because you make us holy. You're making us holy right now. Hallelujah. 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 Maybe you're here today and you realize that God's called you to something. There's something God's calling you to do. But you've been kind of held back. Um, Don't know how to move forward. But today you realize the Lord is, is calling you. I don't know what that is. But I know that it's a step of obedience. There's something that you got to surrender to God. 
some, something that you got to say, yes, Lord, I will do it. And today you need to hear. He's prepared you, and he's prepared your way, and he's prepared your destination. That's you today. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Thank you, Lord. Because of many hands. All of those hands bear witness, God, that they know that they're called by you, that you have a plan for their lives. <laughs> Just by them raising their hands, it's a declaration that the enemy is defeated. The enemy is defeated. The enemy is defeated. The enemy is defeated. Lord, and I thank you that today they hear you belong to me. Be strong and courageous. I've equipped you. I've qualified you. And I've prepared your way. Just trust me. I've prepared your way. Trust me. Lord, we thank you for the hands raised. We thank you, God, that you will complete the work that you've begun in their lives. Thank you for stirring it up in them, the calling of God in their lives. We thank you, Jesus. We bless you, God. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, as we're praying right now, you're here and you're saying, Pastor, there's allowances in my life that I need to surrender to God. No more. There's sin allowances in my life that I realize today, that's what that is. I'm, I'm giving that up to God right now. I'm giving it up to God. I want, I want victory in every area of my life. I want victory in every area of my life. No sin allowances. That's you right now. Would you be bold enough today to come to the altar? As you walk up here, believe that God's going to break that right off of you. Just come up to the altar right now. Yes, God. No more. No more allowances, no more excuses, no more justification, rationalizing, justify, no more. No more. Today, I give it over to God. Hallelujah. Yes, God. Yes, God, if the altar workers would join me right now. Yes, God. No more. remember standing in a, in a church, uh, in a chapel at school, about a thousand students. Preacher was preaching. He was talking about getting freedom from sins. And I remember being there and the preacher said something so specific. He said, some of you are called to ministry. You're called to ministry and you're battling with an addiction to pornography that God needs to break off from you. And I said, oh boy, who's going to answer that altar call? thousand students looking and I knew that I needed to answer that altar call. And I said to myself, if I go up to that altar, I'm going to lose my reputation before all of those who are going to be credentialing me to go to ministry. I'm going to lose my reputation among my peers. But then I, I heard another voice say to me, well, what matters more, your reputation or your peace? What matters more? And I thought to myself, I don't care what happens. I just want this, this sin to be over in my life. I want it to be over. I was one of two people that responded to that altar call in about a thousand, a thousand, a community of a thousand in chapel. And I never regretted that decision because today I'm free. Today I'm free. Amen. Today I'm free. Today would you say no more? 
no more to whatever it is, whatever it may be, whatever allowance of sin we give ourselves. Can we say no more? Would you walk up to this altar and just say, you know what? I'm going to give that up to God. It's right now. Would you trust the Lord? Say no more. It's over. It's over. It's over. I'm not going to give permission to myself to this sin. I'm not going to give permission to the enemy to have this over my life. 